Hey everybody, I'm Jody Vance. And I'm George Affleck. And it's time for Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Unspun. We're back. So is it like is it like one seventy one A? Is are we going back to one? Is this unspun one? No, I don't want to stop. I don't want to start counting again. I'm doing 171. 171. One, seven, one. Well, know. we're three years into unspun. Those who can't see my cheerleading skills. It's really bad. <laughs> Feel lucky that you only listen and you're not watching on YouTube. But welcome to <laughs> Unspun Podcast. Would you watch it? Unspunpodcast.com. Com. That's right. Dot com. Dot com. Although I have .ca, it'll forward to .com. So if you do by accident. Which is nice. Okay, good. Yes, you can, but if you yeah, go you to unspunpodcast.com and you sign up, you'll get an alert when we post our weekly Unspun podcast that is not going away while the Orca is on pause. The Orca is, is there's there's no, in, there's no low tool. tide, there's no high tide. <laughs> yes. We love the Orca. Good. We nice love it. Nice reference. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so uh, counting, 171A, 170, we're going 171, we're three years in. So we'll just I keep counting start, until we get to I, a million, and then we'll stop doing the show. We're never stopping, George. We're like family. <laughs> we have to do this. I want to talk about numbers, though, because this week, yes. there was like out of the blue, with basically no notice, an yes. in-person public health briefing. Uh, oh, yes. Our health minister, Adrian Dix, provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry. Union concert. I happened to... That's right. The comeback tour. Um, yeah. I happened to be filling in for Jill Bennett that date and therefore mm-hmm. through to the press briefing that happened at 1230. So I listened to all of it along with our listeners. Um, and, but the one big takeaway for me is what I want to circle back to because they talked about a lot of stuff. But the one big takeaway that impacts most people, if not all of us, uh, is the news about the fourth dose because there are a lot of people who have opinions about how we should or should not be getting one more dose science here's, here's the drill science people <laughs> i love you george affleck let's listen <laughs> to science shall we so here's yeah. the message from from dbh if you haven't gotten your first dose get it don't be dumb if you haven't gotten your second go- dose get it mm-hmm. it's a good idea if you're a third dose denier Get your head around it because the third dose is what will keep us away from hospitalization and death. Like some Mm -hmm. people still get ill, if not seriously ill with three doses, but the hospitalizations are simply not there. The the proof is in. Three doses is great. We're we're almost too much in now of the third dose people data. Fourth dose only Mm -hmm. for people over the age of 70 or First Nations, Métis, Inuit people over the age of 55, and immunocompromised people. And there are a lot of people that are like, what? In Quebec, Pearl Clutch, in Quebec, you can be 18 or over. Due to the difference between our uh, dosage, remember when we went from 28 days, it's 14 days, it's 28 days, it's it's 36 days, it's it's four months. Right. So, but that... The calculation of, of those windows where we waited to build immunity before boosting changed how BC apparently uh, is reacting and, and managing through Omicron and and the end of, of Delta or whatever the last one was, I believe. Uh, BA, 
point two and BA point four and BA five are all in. Like this is what I was learning this this You're such last a COVID day. I'm like, nerd. okay. You're such a COVID I'm nerd. such a COVID nerd, but my favorite thing is ninety nine percent of doctors, physicians and diet surgeons, physicians yeah. and dietitians are fully vaccinated. This is great news. So like get vaccinated, try try and stay healthy. You are you still the last man standing or have you had it now? No, I haven't had it. I'm the only one. My son, Me Quinn, and I and my family are the only ones who haven't had it. And uh, actually, actually, uh, Amanda's mom hasn't had it. At my office, I'm the only one of like 15 people here. Uh, I'm the only one. It's crazy. I don't wow. know what's wrong with me. I'm just like, and we have a big event we're doing. I'm the only one. I'm just like, I'm completely isolating myself around. I'm not going into any place where people are because I, I can't miss this event. It's uh, pretty important for us. That's the Ma Murray, right? Yeah, the newspaper awards, the community paper awards, been doing it for twenty years. It's the hundredth anniversary of the, uh, the uh, it's a really cool event. Uh, very Oscars, you know, without the hopeful <laughs> punching anybody, but it's a very fancy event. You've hosted it, I think. I have. Yes. I hosted it with Perry Silkowski. I had a great right. time. It was a beautiful event. We had an absolute blast. I think it was the last one before COVID hit it that was. I did. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The one that it came after great. that, we canceled two weeks before. And went online yeah. and it was the world of was online was not ready for, for that kind of production yet. I love it because it hey. really celebrates and, and, and honors local journalism. Like you mm-hmm. find out when the, when the hardworking people who pull yeah. the story for their local paper, wherever it might be across BC, and then are honored for it, even when the, they're nominated. And I'm not, we didn't talk about this in advance. I just want to put this no, out actually, there. Yeah. This is how important yeah. local journal, journalism is. I loved, and it gives me goosebumps, I loved watching each of the nominees react to hearing their name and their group and how excited they were. And then when somebody wins, everybody legitimately celebrates that person and goes, you know what? Yeah, that was the best story. That was the best. Yeah. It's not political. It's cool. And it's brilliant. I love that you do it. I do. Although wine is free. So they <laughs> do get... I was going to say the wine is very delicious. They're very it's very, it's very happy. It's very delicious. Happy and delicious uh, I will say, is not how I would, would – oh. no, And there's lots of work. If people out there who are listening and watching podcasts and you're looking for work in journalism, they are desperate for staff across this province. There's so many jobs that are open. So, you know, go for it. Excellent. I like plug, that. Good plug. It, it is a good idea. It's a good plug. Um, I, I wish the wine were flowing when I was watching the conservative debate. Oh, yes. Last night. You fun with that? Because we're recording on Thursday. I have to say mm-hmm. that it was really, um, it was interesting. The one part that I enjoyed most was when randomly the moderator turned to the candidates and said, what book yeah. are you reading right now? And they all were like. <laughs> That's a hard question. Like, I hate that question though. You know, I don't, I freeze. Cause I'm usually, well, I listen to a lot of books now and I usually listen to five books at any given like they're all in there and i go to the gym and i'll have you know say i'm listening to san francisco sicko you know in the gym which i'm in chapter yeah. 18 or whatever that one and, and uh but i've also got two other books that i'm listening to and like, I, don't, I don't know i mean yeah, that question always scares me i must say you know it's a normal not a politician but it's a good it's an interesting question because it tells a lot about uh, your personality that's for sure it really and i was going to say exactly that you're 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 pulling from my brain right now, George, because you could really see the personalities at play as you could in the after photo. You know how they do the group shot? And it's like, 
the three people that you probably don't really recognize. And then there's Jean Charest and Pierre Poliev, right? And Jean Charest oh. is like trying to have a hand on everybody. I'm with the people and then off to the side, standing rather awkwardly. This Poliev was really <laughs> interesting. I, I wonder how Pierre Poliev's feeling about his leaning into Bitcoin as we're watching over the oh, last couple of days. Anybody leaning into Bitcoin. I mean, I, we have these conversations with my son, who, you know, my, my, my middle kid, who's 21, one with the band, had a concert last night at the Fox Theater by Farhaven. Shout out to Farhaven. Listen to them. They're really great. Uh, really great. Did our, our, he appears for our, our theme song. Uh, he, we talk about this. And he, those people in their 20s, they're like, it's kind of a scam. <laughs> it seems like there's, it's basically people who are in their 30s and 40s that are all over this Bitcoin thing. I, I haven't uh, gone there myself. Um, uh, I just feel it's a bit of a pyramid skin, uh, you know, scam. Kind of the last. If you can lose everything by forgetting your password, I'm screwed. So well, I'm Coinbase, not doing that. I'm the Coinbase. I'm the forgotten password people. Yeah, exactly. Coinbase, and it's not. It's more. It's way more complicated than that too. You got to have a whole bunch of other things. Coinbase said, said this week that they that they they could go bankrupt, and if they did, uh, you would lose all your Bitcoin that's housed up. I'm like, wait, what? That's one thing with the banking industry. As much as you might hate your bank. They have there are structures in place, uh, and certainly the federal government's looking at that. And, and banking is taking uh, you know cryptocurrency seriously, blockchain more seriously. I think there's all this confusion with cryptocurrency and blockchain. For those people who understand, it's like just basically cryptocurrency is an appendage of the blockchain system, but it's about security. And blockchain is really amazing in how in how in the movement of goods, for example, and security of of, of food and all these different ways of how to distribute things. That's really amazing. The cryptocurrency thing seems all a bit shady, a little bit, but almost you know. as shady as an NFT. Do you know what an NFT is? Uh, yes. Can you explain it to me? Because I no, I, I don't, don't want it. I don't know. I, do, <laughs> I got you. It's basically no. a crypto art uh, ownership, right? You own a piece of uh, art. You buy the virtual version of it. Usually, not. it can be a bunch of things, but usually it's like if you you'll get you'll purchase a uh, it could be anything, it could be a logo. Um, people are actually creating these uh, NFTs and selling them. Uh, it's futures, basically. You're 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 putting your non- money down for something that will be fungible, uh, fungible token or whatever. Token, yeah. It's basically, you're predicting. Yeah. You hopefully, it's just buying an asset uh, with crypto yeah. uh, and hoping that it goes up one day or is over is valued more one day, and then you sell it. It's like buying art. So there's one, one of the earlier ones that, well, it, a good example of an NFT that went for big money was like the first tweet ever by Jack, uh, who owned owned Twitter or owns Twitter until yes. Elon Musk takes mm-hmm. it over if he does. I kind of do love that Bill Gates is shorting Tesla right now to mess with Elon Musk. I, will, I love watching billionaires go after each other. Anyways, that's <laughs> a tangent. But the NFT piece, there was like, I don't know whether it's called tired monkey or sad monkey, but there's like... <laughs> It's a cartoon of a monkey that yes. um, initially when NFTs were all the rage and everybody's scrambling to get their NFTs, it initially sold for like $1.3 million or something. I guess the person who bought it for that amount of money listed it for auction and mm-hmm. there was only one bid. It was for $26,000. So yeah, careful out there, people. Yeah, Jack, Jack Dorsey's, uh, you know, of at Jack, Twitter Jack. His his he sold yes. his first tweet for two fifty I think and now it's worth it five bucks or something <laughs> I don't know so, that's the one I was referencing there yeah, you go yeah it's it's interesting let's talk the, 
so I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I think it's, I, I do think that we have to get our ha- head around it. I do think the banking industry needs to take it seriously and the governments need to embrace it because it's happening. There are countries that are using it. So, so you just got to be careful as, a, as an investor. I think you let the government systems trust your, let them figure the systems out, then start investing in it. Wait till there's a structure in place so you don't get ripped off. Uh, and there are companies doing that out there that are, there's some great Canadian companies working with the governments to figure this out because it makes sense that we should move to secure money. And and the ultimate question about whether or not, why do we need borders about, with currency? Why is currency so tied to your government and to your nation? Um, it, it does open up a whole bunch of other questions about the fluidity of our, our market and, 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 and international markets. And, and again, going back to distribution of goods and services, uh, from a business point of view, it makes life a lot easier. There's a whole bunch of other things that it's not just about the price of Bitcoin. So it's important for us to kind of not take it seriously, but also don't take too much risk as an individual. Wait, wait, give it time. I think Silicon Valley really messed with a whole bunch of people thinking that if you get in early on something, you can become a billionaire. And it's like, there was a little bit of that with Bitcoin. And now there might be yeah. what also happened with the tech crash when it happened. Yeah. And then just a happened. handful of people end up being wealthy and, and smart ones cashed out unless you happen to be the top two or three who landed themselves in the hundreds of billions, which is uh, the lower percentile of the investment group. Yes. I want to get into some politics with you, George, because yes, I'm spun. We got some the conservative campaign. I know. We touched on the conservative campaign, which uh, bringing it back to local because that there's a campaigns are happening here locally. Uh, you know, the, the, the municipal campaigns are happening and the election is October 15th, a great day, of course, my birthday. I know you love to mention that, but uh, I'm accepting gifts at, at any time. George's birthday, um, October 15th. So, oh, <laughs> daily birthdays for George, guys. <laughs> daily. Well, my, my family, I drive them crazy because as soon as the last birthday is done before my birthday, uh, it becomes my birthday time. And so that is my daughter's birthday, July 18th. So officially my birthday begins on July 19th. And then the next birthday after that, I don't you know. I think it's I think it's uh, it's Quinn, I guess, is in February. So like, oh, just keep going till then. Um, wow! So July anyways. to February, even though it's October fifteenth. Yeah, that's which is birthday. election day, October. Anyway, so the they just announced, just before the show they released uh, uh, the uh, expense limits. So just so people understand, a lot changed in the last five or so years about campaign finance for municipal elections. One was the limit of twelve hundred dollars per person to donate to an individual or a party. Uh, and they also have right. campaign limits. And so the campaign limits set now for Vancouver and Surrey are out. Uh, Vancouver for mayor, they're not allowed to spend more than $231,000. And for each councillor, it's 120 k And in Surrey, it's 219 and 113K. So if you're you know, doing the math, you know, you look at if you want to raise a million dollars, 231 and maybe six councillors, you got a million bucks to run your campaign. You know, back in the day, when I first ran, I think the MP had spent $2 million. I think the uh, Vision spent $2.8 million in 2014, I think. Um, so, right. you know, this is a huge chunk less. And, uh, you know, it and levels the playing field. And more expensive, and in a more expensive world, right? Yes. And also, you can't get all that money from one person. You have to find 200 people who will give you 1000 bucks, or you can find... You know, so the the opportunity is limited, uh, but also even the point is to even the playing field against other competitors, which of course leads to a whole opportunity of all these people running for mayor. If they all have two hundred thirty-one thousand uh, dollars, they're equal in there. What they can do from advertising, then it comes down to campaigning, trust, leadership, right. concepts like that. That you know, 
brain issues. Brain issues. Yes. Um, the thing so obviously the there's issue. lots of hot issues that we we talked about. I can't continue to talk about over the next seven, six months, five months. One of the reasons why we want to keep going weekly on Unspun is to keep people aware of the municipal end of the news cycle because we can get so caught up with what's happening in Ukraine, who's joining NATO, what's happening with Roe versus Wade, what you know, what what has Donald Trump said today? Whatever those international Soon to be headline grabbers are, right? Yes. Exactly. Well, according to Elon Musk, if he oh, yeah. if he gets it back, um, but here at home. We've got some major issues. And last week, not on the podcast, you and I were talking sidebar about mm -hmm. the construction that is happening down Broadway, uh, West Broadway in particular. So I automatically assumed that this construction was all associated with the subway line, the Broadway line mm -hmm. being um, built, constructed. And you're like, no, no, you wouldn't even see that. It's it's the stations are being built and the towers are going up and whatever, all that is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that yeah. plan is happening, but there's more to the the Broadway plan being implemented, right? In terms of the construction we're seeing, is that correct? Yeah, well, the Broadway plan uh, should have been approved two years ago. We we implemented the, the the planning process when I was there in 2018. That was one of the last things we did, uh, and the plan shouldn't take more than a couple of years. That's almost you know, it's almost four years ago. So now we have this Broadway plan. Uh, there was a building that was approved that's at the corner of Granville and Broadway that was pre-planned, which is controversial. Um, in this Broadway, forty plan, stories. Yeah, but it's at Broadway and and, and Granville. I mean, so let know, me pause on that problem. because you know how much I'm a I'm a tower phobe. I, I don't like heights, so <laughs> you I, it's not even a nimby thing. Thielman. But yeah. I but I got to tell you when I and I had this conversation with a good friend of mine just yesterday about this particular building. And she's like, did you hear about this? It's going to be at Broadway and Granville. I'm like, if there is a 40-story building anywhere out of the downtown core in the city of Vancouver, it belongs to Broadway and Granville. Yeah, big train station there. Uh, 100%. Yeah, so this Broadway plan, if they'd been approved two years ago, we wouldn't be hearing about it, and, and it would have probably passed no problem. Now we've got an election issue. Now we've got mobilized right. electors who are making this a wedge issue. We talk a lot. Of, I talk a lot about wedge issues in elections, about finding a focus if you don't have anything else new of your own that you want to create, then you take an issue and you, and you grab onto it and you make that your own. And Bill Tillman, he's not running for office, but if you know Bill Tillman, I know him well. I've worked with him on, we worked on the no campaign for pro rep very successfully, I might add. Uh, and he generally, he's been sort of the uh, anti-Surrey uh, police, very effective. I don't think he'll be successful in that one in the end. But once he mobilizes people, you got to watch it. Uh, and I interviewed yeah. him last week. I think I talked about this, that he's going to support Colleen Hardwick potentially because she's coming out against this Broadway plan. It, it's very confusing, this Broadway plan. I think you, you know, it's the first iteration. You know, it's, it, it probably won't get approved when it comes to council next week. I bet they'll you know, punt it to the next council, uh, which is unfortunate because it's an important part of our city as far as the healthcare district, which is between Camby and Oak. All the hospitals are there. Um, What's, what's interesting is all the hoopla about housing and, and the replacement housing and all this stuff. It's like, That's I'm what the mayor was talking about today. I know. Did you see and that? He's, he, yeah. Yes. And he's talking guaranteeing this and guaranteeing that and replacement for homes. For renters. It's, it's a bit of a scam. I mean, okay, take a look. Go down Broadway and tell me how many residential properties you see along Broadway. I mean, I, I can't think of three. And if I, if I do, they're like three-story walk-ups that are there. Like, why is that there? Or I think there's maybe one house across the street here. 
that's already got a you know development permit on it. So, you know, there's no uh, there's not a lot of housing. There's some on off the off Broadway that are, maybe they're talking about, but generally, it's Broadway. <laughs> you live in Vancouver, it's like a highway through our city. And right now, we're building a train in it, which is going to take a lot of cars off our highway which creates an opportunity for a whole bunch of things in design. And that's the point of the Broadway plan, but also clearly to put density at the stations. Uh, there is density throughout along it. And I think people get what they're getting upset about the most part is what's west of Granville street. Um, and I'm, I'm not quite sure to over closer to Arbutus. It all ends with basically Arbutus, um, which if you, this is all a mystery to people who don't live in the city, but it's not, it's a huge stretch of the city. Um, and I think, uh, it's, it's unfortunate because mostly it's offices, mostly it's, it's, uh, it's a mixture of housing. It's important development. It's important to do as part of the Broadway underground that we're building the train. Uh, and now it's become a political wedge issue and it's going to get punted, which means it'll be another two, three years before it gets approved by this next council, unless it's the exact same people who get elected again. You know, it's just brutal. And, and then, it just hurts us. And then it's how many more years after that? with permitting yeah. processes and all of what goes into creating yeah. oh, God, yeah. You're, uh, market yeah. rental. Like that is not going to help anybody. And that's the part that really pisses me off. This is what gets under my skin. And I, we've uh -huh. talked about this and Bill Thielman and I are like-minded in the, in the want for it to not be massive tower, low rise, massive tower with like gentle density a la yeah, Paris or Madrid. And that's fine. You you got to say your thing and now I get to say mine, <laughs> smarty pants. <laughs> but I live near Broadway yeah. and I am a density champion. I want more walk-ups. I want more rental housing. I want people who want to develop their, their single... I live on a piece of property that used to be one home and now has six houses on it. Yes. Eight, sorry, eight houses on it, separate, detached little condos on it, on what used to be one house. And there could be so many more of these if everybody just loosened the hell up about, no, not in my backyard, not in my backyard. But do I want a 40-story tower at the end of my street? I do not. Why? Because I don't want to live in that shadow and I don't want there to be that in, impersonal nature of like driving in the underground and going up your elevator. I want walkability. I want people, I want to know my neighbors. I want to get to I know, know my, my people. Neighbors. I know my neighbors. Right. But I don't, I don't know. I, when I lived in Ontario and I lived <laughs> in a tower, I did. My only experience in a tower, I didn't get to know my neighbors. It wasn't as social as I wished it had been in the other neighborhoods in that same city that I right. lived in where I did live in densified environments, four plexes, six plexes, whatever. Um, I got to know my neighbors better. So maybe that's just me, but I'm allowed to be just me and have my own. So yeah. when I look at I, what happens on Broadway, I want to densify it. And I do want people who rent to live in my neighborhood. And for whatever reason, there's this Vancouver ridiculousness that somebody who can afford to buy in your neighborhood is a better neighbor than somebody who rents in your neighborhood. And I think there's a real conversation to be had around that because it's like, whoa, oh, change the dynamic of our neighborhood. This Kitsilano, where we are, where I am right now, mm -hmm. was built on renters and rooming houses and hippies, for Christ's sake. And now it's a bunch of yuppies and... Dinks, I, I'm a, double income, I, no I, I, kids. I, Don't give me a hard time about using dinks, double income, no kids. That. We have an E rating for that. How would it go? 
Um, no, you're welcome. You're welcome. I, I, you know, I don't agree 100 percent with the, your the reasoning on the tower thing. I mean, I think that to me it's about planning is the question. And the Broadway plan, I think, was probably overly ambitious, especially uh, the density that they're proposing in between the stations that they're adding and they put in there, and that's always risky. Because as I have said many times on this podcast, is is community planning is the key to success when it comes to. So you look at right. take a little chunks at a time. Look at neighborhoods that are maybe open to this idea of more density, and what does that density look like? Sure. Can it be three story walk ups? The issue of whether it should be or even six rental, stories. Yeah, even six, six stories, care. even eight stories, yeah, but not let fifteen. The, let 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 the community decide that. I don't care. Right. It's really uh, it's we need more density, but you have to have a process to. To do this, and these massive, this great giant Vancouver plan, which is in, incomplete. Now we have a Broadway plan incomplete. So basically, they have been 100% unsuccessful in four years in completing any community plan at this council. We did five in my first term and three in the second. I mean, it's unbelievably unsuccessful council. Uh, we are have no made, made no headroads in, in into this housing file. Really, all the stuff that Kennedy Stewart takes credit for is stuff that approved when I was there. So I know the issue to me is crazy. really about the planning process, but also this, I am not a supportive of demanding that they be market rental or, or be strata. I think you could say that a portion of land should be set aside for uh, affordable housing, like the Concord Pacific lands. There are several plots yeah. of land that sit, but they remain empty because they're not developable. You can't, you can't afford it. Because, and the, the no government has come in, unfortunately, and that's where you have to bring up the question. We have, Six plots of land on the on on the on the, on the Concord Pacific land, Concord Pacific, empty, yeah. That that are in the control of the city of Vancouver uh, and the province of BC, and they are doing nothing with this land. Let's uh, just let's but, just but explain that a little deeper because we're not, nerds. Hold on, hold on, pause, yeah. pause. Yep, we're nerds. Concord Pacific lands are the north side of False Creek, uh, beside. Science World. So in between Science World and BC Place Stadium, loosely, uh, where the expo site was. And because when you roll by there and you're like, really, we haven't developed this? Why hasn't this been developed? You just explained why. Sitting empty because the federal government, provincial government, and the municipal government. And now the land set aside by the municipal government. Here's the land. The city shouldn't be a developer. That should be the role of the federal and provincial government or the private sector. You can work with the co-op and you can say, so... This is the challenge, and I don't think saying these buildings should be twenty percent, you know, social housing or twenty percent has to be market rental. I'm, you know, the supply and demand concept. I truly believe in. I think it is about speed and volume, um, and the price will fix, find a way to adjust itself, especially and and the opportunity for building rentals will will present themselves as it currently does already financially. You don't need to encourage a developer to build a rental building. You certainly don't need to encourage developers to build rental office buildings. They build a lot of those all the time and make a lot of money yeah. with pension funds, lots of money in the financing. Yeah. And this, these opportunities, if the market, and then with interest rates going up to five, six percent, seven percent, now you're talking great, great potential for profit. Um, yeah. It was good before, but also that puts a lot of risk. People are going to put, start putting their money into long term savings with interest rates, not investing it into predictable, uh, you know, investments. So I just think that we get a best about uh, what this building should look like and where they should be when we should be talking about the community and what what is the community willing to embrace and champion, and then we'll see what happens from there. Talking about community, I could go on housing 
and continue on about how a building gets approved and then it it's all ready to go and then all of a sudden that five or seven story approved building becomes a 15 story building because something zoning changes somewhere and it's like what how we oh you know so we'll get into that in the weeks to come is because that's an election issue for a lot of people but the mm-hmm. bread and butter issues that the dinner table conversations right now um that that in the city of vancouver especially in my family because you know clearly i'm a woman um i have a teen who's free ranging um mm-hmm. and we are worried about our safety living mm-hmm. in the city and we have had a a mayor who is like it's safe and it's like um okay uh four random stranger attacks right he just did though like just just mm-hmm. because the vpd two days ago came out with a release that is irrefutable because it's actually teenagers on the west side and in downtown vancouver who are doing things that are absolutely shocking, shockingly criminal. From from one kid who, uh, there was a teen, who the, the video was caught at the Vancouver Art Gallery security camera, and nobody came forward to complain about this, which is another problem here about kids mm-hmm. getting bullied and robbed and what have you, because they don't want to step forward, because snitches get stitches, don't you know? I actually had my son say that to me. I'm like, oh, no. oh my God, we've learned nothing. Okay, but he oh looked at me God. and he was like, that's a thing. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, okay. But they've got, I, I, I should find the phone number because I, I put it out on my social media, the phone number that the Youth Crimes Unit at the BPD have put out there. Like, if you know something, you, you totally anonymous, call this number, leave the name, let's go. And a lot of parents are turning in their own children as they are being seen on these videos that are going viral on social media. Wow. After the swarming of a kid they beat up the, they, and it's mostly girls, George, a bunch of girls beat up a girl and then make that beaten girl kiss their feet before they let her go. It's oh like the worst of the worst of the worst. Memories like, there? Yeah, it, they, they don't know the story. They mm. literally don't. And, and somebody actually said just yesterday, you know, every generation goes through this. And I'm like, what are we doing wrong as a, as a community to, to not have something more than pink shirt day. And that's not to say that raising funds for, you know, youth organizations in BC isn't a great initiative, but it's not enough. It is not enough. It's like an orange shirt is not going to change reconcil- truth and reconciliation to the degree that it must change. And what we're watching on the West side right now, I'm two days in as a parent. I just went and re-upped like the phone system for my son because he had a crappy old iPhone that would die. The battery would die every day at noon. And I'm like, he needs to be able to call 911. I don't want to be that parent. What city am I living in? Detroit? We'll see one of these campaigns that embraces this because they all kind of are heading towards this crime uh, issue in Vancouver. They held a, they held a, you know, a thing last week and the week before. Um, a hot issue, but I don't know if they have a solution. I can't recommend San Francisco en- enough to people who live in Vancouver that book. I just think that it, it just it just outlines exact same so many of similarities from crime to homelessness to housing. You know, it's just unbelievably similar to San Francisco is about you know maybe five ten years ahead of us. Uh, and this whole at least yeah, really, I just highly recommend anybody to read that book to really and anybody running for office. You literally have in that book, if you read it, there are at least good six good policies that you can just tear the pages out, retype it, and make it your policy as a party and win the election. <laughs> it's that easy. Right. 
because I'll lean into it. I certainly, I think a big part of why, and I'm not let's police the hell out of everything because policing isn't perfect either, but it's yeah. way better than no police budget or a budget that doesn't, you know, when you call, I actually called 911 to call in a fire I saw when I was driving out to visit my parents. I was coming down Granville Street and I saw smoke coming from behind a building and I thought, I don't want to leave it to somebody else. Like just yeah. assume that somebody else is calling this in. There's no downside for me to call it in. So I called 911 and I was put on hold. Oh my God. First time. You know what? First time ever. Wasn't a Saturday night. It wasn't that. We have a Houston. We have a problem. We got a problem. And speaking of Houston, we're on my battery's almost dead. So we got to wrap this up. So I might lose you. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, 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 I think we're done. We got thirty okay. minutes of beautiful content for for unspun. Yeah, I have one more thing I want to say. Okay, real quick, because I might lose you. Um, I got the little signal. Twitter, Twitter, George, At George, Affleck. At Jody Vance, Jody with Y. At Jody Vance. Uh, we're we're gonna bring you unspun podcast each and every week because George and I love doing this and it's really really important. And I got five more ideas I want to say today. And the last thing I want to leave you on is it is pouring rain outside in May, and I couldn't be happier because I want this to be a wet wet spring with a very slow gradual snow melt. So maybe we have just a little less of a wildfire season. Out. <laughs>